this morning we have with us someone who um, spoke here before at our two-year anniversary last October. Um, Ed Underwood is pastor of Church of the Open Door in California, Southern California, which is a very historic church that had a lot to do with the founding of Biola, the early days of Biola. Um, it's also probably the most historically conservative church in America, which is really funny because I don't find Ed um, conservative at all. Um, and I don't think you guys will either, which is, which is kind of fun. Ed is uh, an amazing guy, has an amazing heart for discipleship, is the author of two books. His first, When God Breaks Your Heart, is about suffering. He donated a whole bunch of these to the church um, with all the proceeds going back to Antioch. So these you can find at the book table on your way out. His second book is uh, soon to be released. has to do with his own story of being a part of the Jesus movement in the 70s down in Southern California. It was kind of the, the last revival in America. And just um, being a part of that and then seeing how that got sidetracked. And so it's going to be a fascinating book. I've already been able to read the manuscript. And, and uh, it's one that will be on our all-church book read shortly. Uh, Ed is an amazing guy. He's a wonderful friend. I just would love for you guys to welcome him to Antioch this morning. Well, thanks, Ken. I just I, I couldn't be more excited about what's going on at uh, Antioch. I couldn't be more committed to uh, any church in America besides Church of the Open Door. It is one of God's greatest jokes in history that Ed Underwood, the rebel 60s dude, is pastoring this historic church, but we're finding our way. I've given a lot, as uh, Ken said, I've been doing a lot of research and remembering the Jesus movement, remembering when I first trusted Christ, and uh, given a lot of thought to why it is that so many Christians live this unfulfilling, unexcited, uninspired life. Uh, when we read about the people in the New Testament, so many of us would have to say, I don't think I know what that feels like. Why is it that our life is so different from the lives we read about in the New Testament? And I think I found the answer in this box. And a little book, a, a Christian classic, written a long time ago, four sentences, right in the middle of that Christian classic. It's a it's a classic that most Christians have read, but not all the way through. They've just read a sentence here and a sentence there. They've cherry-picked this book, and they uh, find a couple of sentences that they like. But uh, there's a message, the entire message of the book. And then there are four sentences right in the middle. The first about the box. I grew up in Bakersfield, California. Those of you, uh, what I, I pastored a church here in Oregon for a number of years. And what I find about people from the Northwest is when you go to California, you're going down to Disneyland or go to the beach or whatever, and typically you'll just about run out of gas. You got to do something. So you get out of your car in August in Bakersfield. And the one thing you know is that it is hot, 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 hot. So this is the way we used to, I, I grew up, uh, and, and it's not the box, it's a scene that it uh, brings to mind from my childhood. I grew up in a time that was different than today. The streets were safe, and there weren't weirdos and perverts walking the, walking the streets, and you didn't have to worry about your children. 
So I would just get up with a bunch of other Hellions every day in the, in the summer, and the, our neighborhood gang, Benton Park guys in Bakersfield, and we'd put on a pair of cut-off jeans, and we wouldn't wear shoes because shoes were wimpy. And we had and no shirt. We were just out in the sun, and we, uh, we had places we wanted to go, and all of them were like a mile, two miles away. So the first stop would always be we'd go to the local grocery store, and we'd find a box. This would have been a good one. And the reason we had this box was that if you didn't want to wear shoes, the shoes meant you were a wimp. So we would find a box, and we'd all look at it, and we'd compare each other's boxes. That's what guys do. I think I found a better one than you. And we'd take off. And we'd get on that real hot asphalt and put that box on our head. And then we'd take off. And you know, guys, they compete on everything. So we'd be running just fast our little line. I'm sure you'd be like 17, 20 of us. And we'd all have this box on our head just running down the road for all we're worth, our little old legs. And we'd go as far as we could and be, oh, ah, 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 We'd throw the box down and stand in it. You ready to go? Yeah, okay, here we go. And we'd take off again. When I, uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And it was the 60s, and I just had one plan for my life. I was going to live hard and die young. That was my only plan. And uh, medicate with whatever I could find along the way. And then the Jesus movement started in Southern California. It spilled over the, the San Gabriel Mountains, and it hit Bakersfield. And I heard the gospel for the very first time. For me, Jesus Christ, Jesus or Christ, either one, it was just half of a cuss word. And I heard the gospel for the very first time. And I remember what it felt like. You know, my feet were beginning to burn from my own sin, from my own, uh, you know, all the stuff that I was encumbered by. And I can still remember. It was just like that. I remember standing in this box of grace and mercy. And I remember thinking, you have got to be kidding me. You mean to tell me that Jesus Christ loves me? You mean to tell me with, with all my junk and with all the things that I've done wrong, with all that I know about myself, you mean to tell me that there is grace and mercy for me? You mean to tell me that I can have a relationship with the living God? And I was overwhelmed by mercy and by grace. And we basked in it. Somewhere along the way in the process of, of, of talking about Jesus and being around Christians, somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit persuaded us, and we transferred our trust from ourselves to Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, that he made payment for our sins and was buried and arose. And I was standing in grace. I was standing in mercy. I was forgiven. I was loved by the one seated at the right hand of the Father. I knew where I know I knew who I was in Christ. I knew my destiny. And then someone start people started telling us, you guys ought to go to church. And we're reading our New Testaments. 
And we thought, yeah, that sounds like it. I guess we should. The Bible says we should go to church. And then we went to church. And I remember thinking, why did we do this? Does Jesus know how boring this is? And we began to meet church people. We were outsiders. You've got to take this by faith, but we had long hair. We put all the hymns to rock music. We rocked for Jesus, and that was all wrong. And we didn't dress right. We didn't act right. We didn't do anything right. And then when we started going to church, the church people started saying, now you've got to measure up. Now you've got to know the inside rules. Now you've got to have the insider information. Now you've got to do this. Now you've got to be that. And I remember thinking, yeah, but what do I do with Jesus? And they said, just step out of that box, boy. And I said, okay, fine. Ooh, it's kind of hot. Yeah, well, your feet will feel a lot better because you can start keeping our rules. You can start memorizing our riddles. You can start having our experiences. You can start showing up and dressing up and doing up for Jesus. So I bought into it, and I started running again. And I got to tell you, after about two years, I was absolutely worn out. And I remember thinking, yeah, maybe it was just like a cool idea. Maybe... There was nothing to it. And then I came to this little book. You might have read it. It's called Colossians. It's written, it's a Christian classic. Only four chapters, written by a pretty famous Christian author. His name is Paul. And I read about this little book, and I realized that the same thing was happening to us was happening to the churches of the Lycus Valley, Colossae, Herapolis, and Laodicea. And Paul is in prison in Rome, and this man by the name of Epaphras, who he had discipled, came back to Rome and reported that the church people had infiltrated the ranks of the people at Colossae. And they were telling them to keep these rules. There were two lies they were telling the people about the spiritual life. One is called legalism, it's spirituality by rule that you can measure up to God if you just start keeping these rules. You don't smoke, drink, chew, go girls that do. You'll be good for Jesus. And then the mystics, they're the ones that say uh, spirituality by riddles. I got an inside information. I got one sentence that will set you free. You can have an experience. Hey, we're having a special meeting. Our eyes are rolling back in the head. We're levitating all over the place, and we're getting close to God. Come to our meetings. And pretty soon, Jesus just becomes box on our head. He's still good to have around, especially when his life gets too hot, then you can stand back in him and you can remember. But as soon as your feet cool off a little bit, you got to get to running again, boy. You got to run, 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 run. I read this little book of Colossians. It's got 23 commands in it. The first half, five commands that follow this New Testament hymn that says Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation. 
He is the Lord of the church. Paul says you need to think about Jesus. Think about your Christianity as having everything to do with Jesus. It is not about measuring up. It is about his power flowing through you. Remember that it is Jesus. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. And you are in a relationship with a great person. He is the Lord of creation. Nothing that you see wasn't made by his hands and for him. He is the Lord of the church. He is the trailblazer of your faith. He's the one that brought a whole new way of life called resurrection life. It is about Jesus. And so we begin to read these commands. First command before in the first half of the book, first command says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Why did you start thinking that it was about anything other than a relationship with Christ? And then he says, now, about these legalists, he says very clearly, do not let them judge you in what you eat and drink and your schedule. There is no holy schedule. There is no holy way that has to do with outside performance. There's only Jesus in you and the supernatural life of Christ working its way out of you. Then he says about the mystics, he says, these mystics, interesting, he says, these mystics will behead your faith, meaning that they will cut you off from the source of life. I don't know if you've ever seen a chicken with its head cut off, but there's a reason that we have that saying. When I was a little boy, my grandfather lived out on a farm, and every once in a while he'd say, Eddie, you want to come with me? And I'd say, sure, Grandpa. And he'd say, yeah, your grandma wants a chicken for dinner. And I'd go out there. Now, you ladies aren't going to like this, but this is what happens. With, I mean, you can't, unless you're used to eating your chickens live with feathers on them, this is what you have to do. And they'd go out there, and I, I didn't want to watch it, but I did. Didn't want to watch it, but I did. Didn't want to watch it, but I did. <laughs> and he'd grab this, this old hen, and he'd grab her like that, and he'd spin and spin and spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And the first thing he'd, like that, and he'd have the head in his hand, and there would be the body. And I can tell you for about the next, I don't know, 15, 30 seconds, it's some of the most exciting stuff I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> but it never lasted. Because you cut the body off from the head, and their life will not last. And these mystics, they'll invite you to their meetings. If you want to know a mystic, just turn on your television and watch those televangelists. That's him. You just send me money and God will give you experiences all over the place. And they can have some exciting meetings. But it will not last because it is about Christ. And Paul says in one of the commands in the first half of the book, don't let them kidnap you. See, what they want to do, and this is what they did to us, they want to grab your energy. They want your energy, but they want you, like they would say to us, you guys can come to our church, but you've got to dress up. You've got to get a haircut. You've got to do right. You've got to keep the schedule. It's all about Sunday night and, Sunday and Wednesday night and come and affirm us and come and make the leaders feel good about you being here. Give us your money, and that's all we need, or we need your performance. They kidnapped us, and they turned us away from Christ and neutralized us and stunted our growth. Then their dirty little secret. You can read it for yourself. Meditate on it someday. Colossians 2.23 says all these very impressive things, all these great experiences, talking about the dreams that they have seen and the rules that they keep. Good night. I was, talk, I was listening to 
Ken, what he said last week, and he is so right. I was part of a revival. We reached the most angry, the most mixed-up generation in the history of America. I graduated from high school in 1968. Look it up someday. And I don't remember one stinking altar call, one of these raise-your-hand-for-Jesus meetings ever. It was just about finding Jesus on the street, and it came through people who had already been transformed and were being transformed. We didn't find about that junk until we went to church. It has no power against the indulgence of the flesh. This is their dirty little secret. Their feet are hotter than your feet. They all have a hidden life. They're keeping their rules. They're not, they're not drinking alcohol. They're not going to some movies or no movies or whatever it is. They got their little, you know, their little fortress mentality and they take care of their little kids and they're very good Republicans. And their life is so covered over with sin, so sick with hiddenness. You penetrate that culture and it makes you want to puke. In fact, that same church later on in Revelation 3, Paul says to the church at Laodicea, you know what? I mean, Jesus says, you know what? You're trying to, you think you're so mighty. You didn't buy from me. You make me want to throw up. So we're beginning to be set free. We come to this verse, these, these central four sentences, Colossians 3, 1 and 4. This is the great hinge verse, not this, but this. Not legalism, not mysticism, not churchianity, not all this religious nonsense, but Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And the earthly things in the context of theology goes right back to the mysticism and the legalism and the rules and the riddles and the religious junk the Western church is so addicted to. It's nothing but Christ. It is relationship with Christ. It is his life flowing through us. So Paul says, set your mind on him. Think about him. For you died, what the mighty work of Christ did for us in past. He rescued us from our sin. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What the mighty work of Christ means to a Christian right now. That we, that we are hidden from the wrath of God and protected from satanic attack. When Christ, who is your life, appears, who is your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are destined to be with him forever. Why? Because we're keeping rules? Because we have insider information? No, because he loves us. And his power flows through us. It isn't the power of rules. It isn't the power of religion. It isn't the power of insider knowledge and experiences and riddles and all this nonsensical stuff. It is the power of his love for us and our love response back to him. And when we are consumed with the person of Jesus Christ, 
Legalism and mysticism can never deliver on what they promise. Jesus Christ always delivers on what he promises. Chapters 3 and 4 go on with a number of commands. But now they're commands we can keep. The entire Old Testament proves that people can't keep rules. You want a history of the Old Testament? God's the ever-loving, never-failing God with his never-loving, never-failing people. That's where your rules get to you. But there is something new. There is power within us, power from above, born with life from above, eternal life, a different, a resurrection life. And then something begins to happen. As we are falling in love with Jesus Christ, as his power is flowing through us, we can actually begin to really put off our pagan past. Read Colossians 3 and 4 from verse 5 on. And what you'll find is that it is a much higher standard than their rule keeping. It is the life of Christ doing what Christ would do. You see, this is all about, this, all this other stuff is about what good Christians should do. And a lot of the stuff in there is what Christians should do. But 3 and 4 is about what maturing Christians would do. This is what happens if we'll just be patient and make disciples and get people in touch with the living God and build the character of Christ in them. We will begin to put off the old me. Paul says, kill the deadly sins of sexual immorality and, and uh, covetous idolatry. Kill those deadly sins. But you can't kill them apart from the power of Christ. You'll want to, that stuff will process out of your life because his life is pushing it out. Put off the comfortable sins, the relational sins of being malicious and gossiping and not treating one another in love. He says, and the reason is, is Christ is all and in all. Christ is everything, and he's in all of us. And once that begins to hit our heart and begin to transform us, then we want to cooperate with one another and have the unity that glorifies Jesus Christ. And then we can put on Christ. We begin, as we grow in Christ, and as the power of love begins to transform us, we become more and more uncomfortable with the way we used to live, and we want to put on more and more of him, and his spirit transforms us, and we will put on the very character of Christ, and we will even put on his love. And as we put on his character, then we're able to show his character in the primary relationships of life, husband and wife, parent-child, employee-employer, Christian with the non-Christian, the four relationships of life where we should allow Christ's lordship so that we are demonstrating the power of the living God is seen more than anywhere else in relationships. But here's what we do. Even those of us who are sophisticated enough to know all this stuff back here isn't what we want to do. We have been set free from legalism. We have been set free from mysticism. We have been set free from churchianity. And then we come to Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and we love it. It's all about Jesus. We set our mind on him. We set our hearts on him. But then what happens is we come right to the other stuff, and it's like we forgot that, and we start right over again, and we do our own legalism. 
You got to put off your, you got to put off your, uh, your pagan past. Yeah, you've got to. You've got to show Jesus that you're real. It isn't about showing Jesus that you're real. It's about being real because Jesus is in you. So we get them right back to work. And they, well, what do I do with you? I just put him on your head. You can run this race pretty And when it gets real hot, then you can go ahead and, whoo, man, I just got cancer. That was one of the places that I stopped. Remember what it was like to be in a relationship with someone perfectly and reliable and strong? Or right, today, we find a lot of people jump back, pooling their feet because of financial crisis. It all begins and ends with Jesus Christ. When Paul says, set your mind on things above, seek those things above, it means that our life is all about where he is and his values and what pleases him. Because when you're in a relationship with a great person, it changes your priorities. It cha- when, when you're falling in love, it changes your priorities. Today, I, I all the time, I can only preach this sermon because Judy isn't here. She listened to it once and said, don't you ever do that again with me here. But I'm telling you, I am nuts over Judy Underwood. I haven't been the same. My... Uh, my demonstrative love for her embarrasses her and the children. Good night, Dad. Back off a little bit. You guys are old. <laughs> There's a comment I'm thinking about right now that I'm not going to make. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. There's no... There's nothing I wouldn't do. She has to be very careful to tell me things that she likes. I found out just about five years ago. I never knew this before, being a clueless male. And uh, I found out she likes tulips. I don't know how it took me that long, but I found it out. And once I found that out, I'm like, whoa, man, tulips. So I'm all, you know, I'm intense. And I, pretty soon I'm filling the house with tulips. Every time there's anything, she's like, okay, yeah, son, honey, back off on the tulips. I think I'm weird now. You should have seen it when I first met her. Oh. <sighs> I got to tell you, man. There she is. Judy Christman, cheerleader, South High School, Bakersfield, California. Oh, my goodness. I was playing football in my front yard one day. This is when I was a pagan. Now, she was a Christian. Uh, she grew up in a single mom's home. And she was hopeless. Her mom was an alcoholic. She heard the gospel way before I did, and she believed. But I can still remember, I was playing with a bunch of my, you know, my idiot buddies. We were playing football in the front yard, and this girl walked by. She was a sophomore in high school then. I was a senior. Who's that? Well, Judy Christman. Claudia's sister? Yeah. Wow. So I went to the yearbook, saw these pictures, memorized them. I'm not even supposed to be telling you ladies this, but I'm going to tell you how it works. I would get that yearbook and I'd look at it and it'd be like, I memorized her uh, schedule at South High. Always be standing right outside the room when she walked in. 
I drive by her house just in case I get to see her. I really am not supposed to be telling you ladies this, but this is what we do. I, I, I'd call her on the phone. She'd answer. I'd hang up. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'd drive by her house. I had a 68 GTO. I'd drive by that house. I think that's her. I, I might have seen her ahead. It was, it was tough, too, because she lived in a cul-de-sac, so I'd be like. <laughs> Shoot, I was a stalker. <laughs> Walked into French class one day, and I had said, I was a big man on campus, big senior, big idiot. And, um, and I used to, uh, when I used to tell her, hey, anything for French class, that's mine, because Judy's my girl. And she told me later, she, I thought you were such an idiot. So anyway, I, but I'd go in, you know, I'd go into French class and it'd be some type of a paper to give to a kid in French class. And I'd take it in there and I'd be all, and I, I knew right, she sat like right there and I'd walk in, flexing. <laughs> walk out. <laughs> Then uh, one day I walked into French class, and I made the very unfortunate decision. I mean, one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life, but I was hanging out with a bunch of cowboys, and so I made, uh, I was real impressed by them, so I made the unfortunate decision to chew tobacco, Copenhagen. And that was very sexy. I found out later that, that the girls really liked that. And, uh... So anyway, one day I had a big old wad of tobacco in my mouth, and I'm in there, and I'm looking for Judy, and I've got this thing, you know, and I walk into French class, and everything's different. So I'm all disoriented. I lost my bearings. There's the seats. There's, a, you know, weird smells in there. And I walked up to the teacher, and I said, uh, I have a note here for so-and-so. What's going on? She goes, oh, we're having an authentic French party. We're cooking French food and all that. And I went, oh, okay, fine, whatever. But I'm still looking for Judy. And uh, so I get a tap on the shoulder, and I turn around, and there she is, man. Those drop, you think those drop-dead eyes are beautiful in black and white. Man, you ought to see him in living color. I mean, those green eyes. And the first time I'd ever seen her that close. And so I turned around, and she had a snail on a toothpick, you know. And I, and I was like, just drunk with love. And I remember thinking, she has freckles. And she said, Hi, Eddie. And she puffed that snail in my mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Snail, Copenhagen, the whole shoot match. I lost my mind for Judy Christman. I remember walking out of there thinking, did I have a chew of tobacco in my mouth? Yeah, about three minutes later I knew. I was over there behind the hall, you know. That's the way love is. When's the last time you lost your mind for Jesus? See, when you're in relationship with a great person, it changes everything. 
It is not about what you should do. It's about what you would do because you're in love. It changes your priorities. It changes your schedule. It changes everything. I couldn't get enough of Judy. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. One of the favorite courses of the Jesus movement was he's everything to me. And it'd be hokey now, but for us, man, it was cutting edge. And I have found that there's just all these temptations to make put Jesus to box on my head. Forget about him until I need him. And here's what I found out about Jesus Christ. He will not be tamed. He will not be tamed. You cannot box him in. He doesn't want my performance. He wants me. He doesn't want my measuring up. He wants my heart. And until you get to that point that Jesus is everything to you, you are going to be missing the full benefit of the love that he wants to give you. Seek the Savior you love. Set your mind on things above. Live preoccupied with Christ. Fill your mind with thoughts of him. Fill your time with the pursuit of him, and you will not have to worry about the results. His life will work out of you. You will begin to put off your pagan past. You will put on the very character of Christ. Christianity is supernatural. In the final analysis, all of Christianity is the Jesus movement. So how long has it been since you've been preoccupied with the person of Jesus Christ? That you've just spent time with him because you love him. Father, I want to pray for these friends, and I pray, Lord, that as Antioch Church reaches more and more into this culture and penetrates this culture for Jesus Christ, that it would never be about church. I thank you for their healthy beginnings, that it would never be about religion, that it would never be about measuring up. It would never be about secret insider information. It would always be about openness and vulnerability and being absolutely available to Jesus Christ, not because they have to, not because they're guilted, not because they're manipulated, but because he is exalted in this community of faith. People will know that when you're in a relationship with a great person, it changes everything, and that great person's name is Jesus. Amen.